Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm your host, Brian. John is out tonight. Uh, Texas has dealt him a bad hand, so uh, no power for John. Otherwise, he would be here. But we're going to have our guest here in a second. Just want to run down the list of sponsors for you so that you guys can all go out there and check these folks out. So we have Maxon Outfitters. We have Troutlander Nets. Angry Rooster Flyco, Morris Flyco, which is John's company, and Lid Rig. Uh, go check out all of our great sponsors. They have some great deals. Uh, we always put the discount codes in the show description. So with all those folks and all of that good stuff there, wanted to introduce our next guest here. So our guest tonight is Zach Jenkins. You might better know him from his previous podcast of the of the 12 hike challenge. I almost screwed it up there right out of the gate. <laughs> uh, uh, the 12 hike challenge. And uh, if you know us, you know, Zach, because we had Zach on last year and Zach is actually reformatting his podcast. We're going to talk about that here in a second. And, um, but we're going to also just kind of catch back up with Zach and everything else. So um, a lot of stuff's happened. Yeah. A lot not not only am I reformatting my podcast, I've kind of reformatted my whole life. Yeah, for sure. I, so you were in Colorado and, and we all met when you were living in Colorado, you're live, living next to Brian, you know, Brian in the wild Colorado yep. and you, you guys are next door neighbors. It's just like this perfect harmonious neighborhood relationship, but you, you ended up heading back home. And so what, what spurred the journey to get you back home? So the, the whole thing has been really odd. You know, we moved away because we, we were looking for a better life. We didn't feel like Southern Ohio had anything to offer us anymore. We had uh, bigger goals, bigger ambitions. We wanted life to be better for our kids. And, you know, in a lot of ways it was. Uh, we loved Colorado. We loved the neighborhood we were in. The schools were great. Crime was low. Drug use wasn't very high. Um, just that area had a lot going for it, <coughs> but when, you know, as the years went on, my kids needed some, some special attentions and I wasn't able to, uh, keep a full-time job. So that left the burden of making money completely on my wife. And, you know, after nearly three years, we looked at each other in May and we kind of said, you know what? I'm tired. I'm, I'm ready to go back home. And we, we just kind of said, all right, just let's do it. So we made the decision in May. Uh, we loaded up, I say we, I loaded up a U-Haul and uh, we were back home by July. We left the house empty and uh, sold it while we were here in Ohio. And it's, it's just been a rat race. Man, I, well, I was kind of wondering, like, yeah, it, it was like, everything, it seemed like it was going good and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But 
Yeah. Then you're like, I'm moving back to Ohio. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, really, you know, moving away, it, it gives a person the ability to put things in perspective. Uh, you know, right before I moved away, my grandpa passed away. And at that point, it kind of felt like absolutely no disrespect to my mom or dad. But I really I stayed because of my grandparents, uh, I was really close with them. I loved them. And after they both had passed away, it's like, well, if I'm going to try it, now's the time. Uh, everything lined up, and we, and we did. We took the shot, and I don't regret it at all. You know, we we had a great time out there. We learned a lot about what we were capable of as a as a couple. You know, my wife and I, we uh, we battled through a lot of things. We proved ourselves that we're capable and that we can do anything we set our minds to. That being said, we missed our family. And I think that was the biggest perspective hike for both of us. You know, we, we didn't have anybody out there. And here, family can drive you crazy, but, but they have your back. And when you need help, that's, that's when you lean on them. And that's what we missed. Yeah, well, I was going to say just packing up and moving that far away without any kind of support network and then trying to rebuild that support <laughs> network. That's that's like that's a that's a, a lot of work. Um, oh, yeah. And and family is there. You know, we take family for granted, but family really is there. And you have that direct support network, everything else that that definitely helps out a lot. And, you know, but it, it, I, I was like, you know, one day we're going to get over there, we're going to go fish, and then it's going to be with Zach and Brian. And then it's like, all right, now I got to go to Ohio, which yeah. I don't, I don't mind. That's where my family was originally from, was uh, from essentially the same area you're, you're living in now. Yeah. Um, so I don't mind going to Ohio because I have family there that I still talk to. So it's like, okay, <laughs> cool. I'll, I'll go see Zach there. I'll have to still make a stop in Colorado to see Brian too. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I'm going to miss that guy like crazy. I already do. Uh, I, I couldn't have got any luckier in, in the neighbor that I got because tell you something, Brian is a real stand-up guy. He's, he is an outdoorsman through and through, uh, and, and just really kind of helped me acclimate myself to the Rocky mountain life. And I was supposed to go back and go elk hunting, uh, actually this week and just life didn't deal me that hand of cards. I had to got, I got to eat a elk tag, but it is what it is. I'm going to make a trip out there this winter and I'm going to try to go ice fishing with him. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's something I'm going to miss very badly. You know, I used to gripe all the time about, I couldn't catch fish in Colorado. I didn't like fishing there. Uh, that all changed when I hit hard water. Ice fishing is absolutely, it's one of my favorite things to do now. Yeah. Well, you have ice fishing opportunity there in Ohio too. You got to travel a little bit. So, you know, where I'm at down the Southern tip, it, it never gets cold enough for a long enough period to freeze. So I can drive about three and a half, four hours North and get up close to Lake Erie. And yes, I can ice fish up there. Yeah. But it's not as available as what you had there in Colorado. I could, you know, me and Brian multiple mornings, we would drive 15 minutes and we'd have two or three lakes that we could fish. But, you know, uh, I always felt very uncomfortable fishing in Colorado. <laughs> and I came back this summer and, you know, I had to get everything settled in and, 
uh, one of the, actually the first fishing trip I took, uh, my mom and I went to uh, my cousin's little farm pond and I forgot how much I loved fishing in Southern Ohio. We're not, me and my mom didn't break any records. We were catching bluegill that were this big. They were tiny. <laughs> we, but we caught 30 or 40 of them. Oh yeah. And then, uh, you know, I got there and the first fish I caught was a, a largemouth, and I was using the topwater bait and I was just throwing it in some uh, sloppy stuff. It hit and I reeled it in. I'm all showing off to my mom. Hey, check this out, mom. Da, da, da. So we fish and fish and fish and fish and we, uh, we're getting ready to leave and she's using just a, like a small jig and a bobber with a piece of night crawler. <laughs> and we're talking about how, you know, how to bass fish. And she, she said, uh, have you ever caught a bass on a piece of night crawler like this? And I said, yeah, I've caught them on that before. She makes a cast and, uh, I'm walking back to the truck and put my GoPro up, put my fishing stuff up cause I'm done. And I turn around and her bobber's gone and she's reeling in a fish and, uh, she gets it up close where I see it. And I go, Oh my God, it's bass. <laughs> and she gets it up to the bank. And as soon as I grab it, it's like out of a movie, right? I grab it and the line breaks. So if I hadn't reached down to grab it, she would have lost her first bass. Oh, ever. Man. So <laughs> I got so lucky on that. Oh, so lucky. So I grab it and you know, she is just, she couldn't have been happier. If she had a lottery winning lottery ticket because it's the first big fish she's ever caught. And uh, she's holding it up and just, she has this look in her eye, like she's just like, she couldn't have been happier. And that's, that moment was like, okay, we made hundred percent the right choice because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm back here with family. We're doing things that we love and it, and it comes easy and naturally. So she's just sitting there just beaming at this fish almost speechless she really didn't know what to say about it just staring at it like as this foreign object and i just it was incredible well you you, you put up a short of that fish and and uh you could tell she was like oh, i got this huge you know bass and i was like man that's cool i uh, you know to think all those years of her probably going out with you and your dad and the kid you know yep. basically the family and maybe throwing out a worm and a night crawler and doing stuff like that every once in a while, but not being able to like really seriously fish. She was able to actually go out and then, and that was a good bass too. It wasn't like no joke, but yeah, she just went out there and got it on a worm and a bobber, which is like the most classic way to catch a fish. Uh, and it's funny because, you know, my dad was never really a big fisherman. Uh, and really, uh, my grandpa wasn't either, you know, my grandpa's a guy that was responsible for getting me outdoors. Uh, we always, small game hunted but as he got older and less mobile he he kind of took fishing back on and really that's where my mom and i uh had some of our best memories was taking my grandpa we had this one pond that we always fished and i swear he probably caught every bluegill in that pond at least three times I, <laughs> <laughs> but you know it was just those classic summer evenings the cicadas are going crazy. It's muggy. You've got this farm pond and you're just, you're catching little bluegill and palm bass. Palm bass don't usually break records. They're not big, beefy lake bass. They're not super strong, but they're, they're pretty easy to catch. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> that's, that's what this whole area is about. You know, this easy way of living and 
we don't really worry about catching monster fish. We're just, we're happy to catch anything. Absolutely. Well, and, and that's the nice part of that is, is that, you know, you, you go out and you do, you have that available to you, you know, to be able to go do that. But the cool part of the fish that you're targeting are, is that they're plentiful. You can go after them. They're not like, you're not fishing for muskie. You're not fishing for steelhead. I mean, you could go for either one of those species there. You have them, right. um, you know, but you're, you're keeping it simple and straightforward. And that's the fun part of the whole thing. It's like, you're, you're able to do that. And that's, and that's fun for a lot of other people too, because they might see what you're doing. Cause you do a lot of different things outdoors, you know, it's, yeah, we're a fishing podcast, but you're doing a lot of different things outdoors, but it could be somebody that's like into, um, you know, learning about like travel history and maybe that gets them into picking up a rod and taking a rod along with them while they're, you know, out traveling and like, Hey, I'm just going to go fling a worm and bobber in a lake. And that's, you know, I didn't realize how limited the fishing opportunities were in the area of Colorado that I lived in. Um, and I say limited in the sense that, you know, there was a lot of bodies of water to fish, but there were also a lot of people. So the, the city we lived in had as many people as the whole county that we live in now has. You know, right now we're much more rural, we're spread out, we're not as densely populate, populated. So I can go, uh, just like looking out my window here where I'm, I'm living right now, I can see a, a main river that runs from, you know, it's like a hundred and some miles long. And- Is that the Great well, Miami? Nope, it's the Scioto River. Oh, okay. Uh, the Miami River's west of us. Oh, okay. All right. It's closer to like Dayton, Cincinnati, Miami, like up in that area. Okay. Yep. So, but the side river uh, is, it goes from Columbus, Ohio, which is the center of the state all the way down and it spills into the Ohio river. Amazing fishing, uh, striper, walleye, muskie, pike, largemouth, smallmouth, spotted bass, you name it, it's in there, but hardly anybody fishes it. And it's really a shame and it has more, it has more to do with public access. Hmm. So when you look at a place like Colorado, they've built their entire culture around the outdoors, right? This area here, it's not really, it's not outdoor centric. It's, it's starting to get there. There are some uh, startup companies that are uh, kayak and outfitting companies that are trying to take advantage of the water we have around here. But people just by and large aren't super into it like they are out west. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, well, that now this seems to be a common thing. You've lived out west, and and you're from what what we all call back east, right? Um, yeah, that, that's what that's what it's always well back east in Ohio. That's what that's what I heard <laughs> a lot growing up. That you know, cousin so and so. Um, so, but it seems to me like the Midwest and East, you have like all of this physical river ownership and it doesn't sound like this is an insignificant river, but like in Colorado, did you guys have things that had to do with like navigable waterways or uh, was that something? Because that's what we have here. Well, see the thing in Colorado where, where we were at, none of the rivers were navigable. They were, in, in my opinion, they were creeks. But because of the length, they were classified as a river. Mm -hmm. You know, I fish some small creeks around here, 
that uh, I'd blow Brian's mind if he came out here and kayaked with me because they're huge compared to the rivers they fish. So uh, that it is, it's really odd. But the other thing that's crazy is how little, uh, how little attention we uh, pay to conservation. So our rivers here, we have muddy ground. We don't have crystal clear waters like back out West, but just the amount of garbage that you find in a river around here is absolutely just gross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the Scioto River uh, is a prime example of that, you know, back in the early 1900s, uh, before Columbus really became established in a huge city, uh, the Scioto River had over 115 naturally uh, reproducing fish in its river system. Uh, by the 1960s, I think, that number was down to five because of pollution. Um, and it all came from Columbus. You know, they were developing so fast, they hadn't upgraded their sewer systems to keep up with it. So all that raw sewage was dumping into the Soda River and just absolutely ruining the whole river system. Um, so Columbus instituted a, a, a huge wastewater facility. Uh, and now that number is back up close to 100. I think they've almost restored it. Wow. So they were actually just dumping the sewage directly into the river. That's, you know, that, that was the way that things were done for a long time in all honesty, and even like septic leach fields, they would run right up to a river and, you know, it would leach and leach into the river before it even had time to compost or flush out. So you had all of this and, and, you know, people are like, Oh, you know, poop and all this, but what it really is, is it's like, um, you, you have Giardia and you have uh, E. coli. I mean, just think of the amount of stuff that you have in in your small intestine. It, it's pretty bad. And, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it goes without saying that I think some of that comes from the fact that, that that area of the Midwest, East Coast, Midwest, I don't know if you, are you considered East Coast or Midwest? You know, I don't know. Uh... I feel like Ohio is in this really weird territory Yeah, because if you, if you're South of Columbus, they think we are just dumb, ignorant rednecks. Uh, I had a guy, you have like a spur of the Appalachian mountains come through there. I had a guy from Toledo. He was a truck driver. He came into where I used to work and uh, he walked in and we talked to him for a second. He said, you guys talk weird down here. (laughs) And me and my coworker looked at each other and said, what are you talking about you talk weird go go yeah. to your truck go go yeah. do something uh but you know we're, we're this really weird i don't feel like i'm from the midwest when i think of midwest i think of iowa nebraska you know the flyover that's central central uh united states but yeah uh iowa illinois indiana mm-hmm. uh I don't identify as a midwesterner but i don't identify as an east coaster either because i think of yeah boston yeah you know yeah, those, exactly those jerk offs yeah exactly uh, <laughs> i mean I, I i guess when 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 i think about it and the, and i'll get back to kind of where i was going i guess with uh-huh. the question that i had but i i'm thinking big 10 football you oh, know yeah yeah so then it's like okay you have wisconsin you have minnesota you have the ohio state uh you have uh, penn, michigan penn state is, is penn state a part of the big 10 mm-hmm. okay okay so that well Pennsylvania does border the East coast. Yep. I guess it's just kind of a split. 
Yeah. And I, so be it. <laughs> uh, all that being said, I, I think we're Appalachian. I, I, that's the right. best I can come up with. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll just call it at that. Yeah. In, but in that area, it's also known as the Rust Belt industrially. Yes. Because you have Ford and GM and uh, Mopar plants <laughs> everywhere. I mean, it goes from Michigan through Illinois over to Ohio up into Pennsylvania. And a lot of it has to do with that, that whole steel industry, you know, the Lake Erie steel industry, uh, obviously Pittsburgh, everything else. That's what that has to do with. Do you think that oversight of pollution was because laws were maybe put into place by those companies so that they could get away with dumping and, and getting rid of stuff easier? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, you know, capitalism is a great thing it's brought Mm -hmm. a lot of people out of abject poverty Mm -hmm. and we have a lot of things that we would never have otherwise all that being said uh (laughs) they're sociopaths right i mean they don't whatever stands in their way of making as much money as possible they're going to try to run over it and that's a byproduct byproduct you know uh the coal industry uh we've got a big chemical plant industry around here um, and, the, and the steel industry is what essentially built this area up. You know, I live on a river town, uh, Portsmouth, Ohio. Uh, it's where the soda and the Ohio meet. And it was like a halfway point between Pittsburgh and Chicago. So it became a major hub. Saw a huge growth, you know, explosion boom, uh, brick plants, the, all the mills, railroad, all that stuff just kind of congregated right here in this area and really made it ripe for taking advantage of the waterways. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right, it had, a, it had a devastating impact. You know, the Ohio River <laughs> is a pretty major river and by all accounts should be a healthy, teeming river full of, you know, various fish species. It's only been just within the past probably five years that walleye and perch have started to naturally reproduce again because the water was so dirty. Yeah. yeah. And, and you don't have that high rate of exchange of water there either. Nope. So that those chemicals stay there for a long time. Yeah. It's, it's a real problem. Uh, now, all that being said, I think uh, we're starting to make some progress in getting this area cleaned up a little bit because uh, our walleye numbers are starting to look better. They're getting a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're actually finding some yellow perch in the Ohio river now. So that's starting to improve. Uh, I don't fish the river a whole lot because the Ohio river is huge mm-hmm. and to bank fish it, you're really not, you're not utilizing the river and not getting out to where most of the fish are. Um, I've been fortunate that, you know, we've got a big dam, the green up dam <laughs> and uh, sauger and sawguy fishing is excellent. I love going up there and sauger fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, hybrid striped bass, uh, wipers. There's all kinds of big striped bass up there if you know how to catch them. But <laughs> I love fishing the green up dam and I hate it because if you don't know the system and you don't have the right jig at the right time, you're going to get skunked. And let me tell you how finicky these fish are up there. Me and my buddy can fish within 10 feet of each other he can be using a quarter ounce a quarter ounce uh jig with a white curly tail grub i can use the same jig head the same collar 
but my grub maybe has different shaped uh, ribs on the grub, he'll be catching fish and I won't. Interesting. Mm-hmm. That, that, that they can pick out that, that difference in the lures and every, I, that's, I mean, they do have excellent, you know, sauger, walleye, they're, you know, kind of the same thing. Uh, yep. One's got a white tip on its fin and the other one doesn't, but um, it's interesting because they do have exceptional sight. But to me that, that it just seems like because they are a predatory fish, they should be pretty reckless. You know, they should be like a pike where, you know, you throw out a top water and it's just kabam, you know, you got this pike, you know, or um, even, you know, muskies, a fish of 10,000 casts, but they're pretty reckless when they go to attack. Yep. Um, but, but those fish being that sensitive and finicky to that lure, that's unbelievable. And it is infuriating because, you know, there'll be an old timer up there. He's, you know, <laughs> in his seventies, his guys that fishes there every day. And he's just murdering. It was catching fish after fish after fish. <laughs> and you just watch him and go, what is he doing different that I'm not? And it just comes down to that little fine stuff. Maybe they don't want a white grub. Maybe they want a yellow one. Yeah. So you say, so, but if you have the wrong color yellow, there's it's not going to work. Yeah. You have to have that exact shade of yellow on that exact day and that exact light and that exact yeah. temperature. Yeah, they can be they can be real tricky. Now, yeah. and, and you're talking about hybrid bass and like white bass and stuff like that. Do you go target white bass specifically, or are you just looking at hybrids and stripers? Uh, yeah, it's it's all a symptom of what's up there. You know, the at the Greenup Dam anyway, fish will kind of come in in waves. The, the sauger do this. You you could be fishing and not catching anything, and then for like a ten minute stretch, you're catching a fish every single cast. And then, then they move out and they're done. You don't, you don't see them again for another hour or two. Uh, You know, some of those fish are starting to uh, spawn now. There's, so they're getting geared up for winter, like various things that they're doing. So they're moving in and out of that location. Mm -hmm. If you go up there at the wrong time, you're not going to do any good. But if you go up there and you catch it right, you know, we've caught several two foot long stripers. I mean, it's, it's easy to do if you hit at the right time. But that's all with the timing though, you know, because they are a run fish like the sauger yeah. and the walleye and everything else. At what time, what time of year are they running there? I think it's right now, isn't it? Right now. Uh, as the water is cooling down, uh, our days are getting shorter something to trigger something. And I'm going to have to research a little bit more, but yes, right now they're starting to, to fire up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, uh, looking something up really quick. So my, yep. Uh, one of my cousins lives at uh, Indian Lake, which okay. is outside of Dayton. And yeah. she was just, uh, I'm, I'm going back in here to look this up, but she had taken a picture uh, and it looked like when we have, um, when we have like a really hot salmon run on a coastal river, uh-huh. uh, it looked like that. It was just shoulder to shoulder, everybody out there. Is that, <laughs> is that pretty common when the run comes in, in your area? Yes. If you go up to the Greenup Dam uh, at a certain time, so the way the dam works, you can fish from like they have this big concrete walkway and then uh, there's a, a rocky shore. If you go to that area, like you have to know the system because if you cast at the wrong time or the wrong spot, you're going to screw up everybody that's below you because the current will push your jig right into their stuff. And everybody gets a little bit mad. They get all fuzzed up at the reset mm-hmm. and so i don't i don't like fishing like that we go to another area it's more like a rocky point uh 
we don't tend to see as large a fish out there, but we've always been pretty successful catching Salgren and Salgai. Okay. Um, she's, she's over on the great Miami. That's, okay. th- that's what she's close to. So that's, that's where that was, but I was just looking at your location compared to hers. And, um, so you have the Ohio river there, the great Miami dumps into that. So these fish are moving up and down the Ohio dumping into the great Miami and up, up your river there. I, uh, didn't the, catch the, the soda, the Sciota. Okay. Yeah. Cause I saw Portsmouth there. I was like, okay, that's where Zach's at. That's where yeah. she is. So yeah, she's like hour and a half away from where you're at right there. Yep. But man, I, I've always wanted to fish that and just like experience because there's no ocean. I'm used to fish have to run out of the ocean here. <laughs> I wanted to experience what it was like to go like combat fish for walleye <laughs> for yeah. whatever reason. It's like we combat fish for salmon, but uh, I wanted to see what it's like to combat fish for walleye just to say, <laughs> yeah, I went combat fish for walleye and come home and tell people that. And then I'll be like, oh, that's a trash fish, you know, because that's <laughs> what they consider them here. A walleye? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We're we're salmon and steelhead snobs. There's nothing else. I mean, I don't consider oh. them a trash fish, but uh, a lot of a lot of the salmon and steelhead guys, they'll they'll actually catch them here. And I don't know how they ended up here. If they were planted by the Department of Fish and Game, or uh. if it was bucket biology, but they ended up in the Columbia River, and so they eat salmon. So guess what happens? They'll catch every single walleye, beat them all to death. Some of them get launched onto the bank. I, I I'm like have you ever had walleye they're, they're really good so if you're going to catch them <laughs> with a no limit fishery catch them and keep them and eat them you know there's no size or limit in certain areas you just keep all of them you want but they're like oh no it's in garbage water it's a garbage fish you know it's like that's a shame yeah it's a real shame but, hey. but i'm sure that you guys have fish species that get wasted there too oh yeah hey uh a lot of gar is a real big one and i yeah. john would absolutely lose his mind but i've seen so many needle nose gar with their noses stuck in oh, the, the, the long nose yeah like what he he's yeah that's his target species it's it is horrible i mean john yeah. says it's bad in texas too yeah and uh we have those carp and uh drum or buffalo sheep's head whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. uh, i've got a buddy that is prolific at catching sheep's head and i always give him crap because i call him trash fish i i do yeah. it just to rib him but shoot he's catching two foot sheep's head and they're they look ama- like big fish they are amazing to catch i mean they absolutely will rip the guts out of a, a lightweight rod and reel setup and they are blast uh but he tried to kill me one night catching one so i was like you know what i'm gonna give you shit every time you catch one of those stupid things <laughs> yeah i well i don't blame you on that because yeah the um you know the uh the funny part of all that is is uh um with with uh, the sheep's head, I hear it over and over and over again, and it looked like just a blast to catch, honestly, from my perspective. But yeah. I hear everybody say sheep's head's a trash fish. Why does it have that moniker of being a trash fish? Like walleye and and those, they they eat salmon. Anything they eat salmon or steelhead is a trash fish, and it needs to die. So what what is it with sheep's head? So I think the thing with sheep's head is you find them in, uh, we'll call it stagnant water. You know, they, they're not necessarily finicky on where they live. Um, and they're not really super good to eat because they live in this warmer water. And you and I both know that when you catch fish from warmer water, they typically don't taste as good. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got, you know, like a carp, they've got bad mud lines in them. They're a, a bottom feeder. Uh, and not only that, when you actually you know, catch them, get them in your boat, 
I've had one piss all over me and they stink. I mean, they're disgusting. <laughs> so, oh man, I, I, I'm not a big, huge fan of, uh, catching them myself. I don't target them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've caught a few of them and, and you're, it's like, Oh my God, I've got the biggest large mouth I've ever caught in my life. <laughs> I think that's the, I think that's yeah. the whole problem of it. You're yeah. not fishing for them and you catch one and you're like, yeah. I have got a record bass on here. Like a and big it, massive. Yeah. And it gets up to the boat and you're like, son of a bitch. It's a drum. <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's that disappointment <laughs> of just being let down. Yeah. You know, that that's the problem with those things though. It, it, uh, large scale suckers. I think I've, I've put up a couple of videos of releasing those. They're, they're a decent sized fish. Another one considered trash fish. They eat salmon and steelhead eggs. Okay. But they're, they're native, right? Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll be drifting around and, and, and you're just going along and your fo- float goes boom like that. And, and you just jack on it and it's thud, 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 thud. And you're like, yeah, you know, and you think you got like a big springer on. And then you see the big gold roll on the side under the water because our water's clear here. And you're like, oh, then you just like, yeah, you reel it up there and you kind of <laughs> kick it a couple times and throw it back in because it's just, you're like, yeah, thanks for stealing my bait. And it, they sit there and flop and they got these huge eyes and everything else. And you, you just unhook them and fling them back. A lot of people throw them up on the bank, but they are a native species. But yeah. like the drum, the drum's native to your area, I believe. Yep, sure is. And so, I think what's, what's funny is, you know, you look at a drum and, uh, they're very similar to a redfish mm-hmm. and people love catching redfish. Yeah. That's the whole thing. That's what I was going to say is like, they have a very similar body structure to a redfish mm-hmm. and they fight just as hard They're, You know, they can be just as aggressive. I mean, I've seen them crush crankbaits. I mean, they just, they obliterate <laughs> them. That'd be fun. That big of a fish. You're just, you know, bang, you just hit it. Yeah. Oh, dude, that'd be so much fun. That'd oh, be it's a blast. Oh. And, and you know, I had that, a, a similar experience to just getting rocked and rolled this past summer. Uh, we went to a, a little, like a rock quarry, right. And took our kayaks in there and right off the rip, I was a little bit disappointed because the boat ramp used to be all nice and gravel and you could get in your kayak real easy. Well, I got down there and uh, I went to put my kayak in the water and I stepped my foot kind of like on the edge of the bank and immediately went knee deep in this mucky, nasty oh. mud, just gross. So immediately I was like, screw this place. I'm done with it. <laughs> but <laughs> we paddle around. It's this crystal clear water. You can see 15, 20 feet deep. You can watch fish swimming by. Wow. And, uh, you know, I'm power fishing. I've got this swim bait. Actually, one of the swim baits that John made me. Oh, nice, nice. Bef- before he hung up the plastics. So... I'm rocking and rolling this swim bait and I had a bass hit my swim bait so hard that it ripped the rod out of my hands. Oh man. First time it's ever happened. I was reeling this thing in and next thing I knew my rod was in the bottom of my kayak. I thought I was going to lose it. And I thought, Oh my God, I've got the biggest bass I've ever caught in my life on here. <laughs> and I reel it in and I'm like, I'm telling my buddy, I'm like, Oh my God, this is a huge fish, dude. And I get it up to the kayak and the swim bait was half as long as the fish. I mean, it's only like a a 12 inch bass. Yeah. And it hit so hard. I was like, that's incredible. I haven't had a bass hit my rod like that for years. Wow. Never had a fish like that hit it in Colorado. And, uh, man, I was kind of like, God, I'm so glad to be back. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, man, I think, I think just, 
seeing how much I, I wasn't going to say that you didn't seem like a happy guy in Colorado, but you seem like you're very happy to be back with your family and, and you're doing a lot more than just fishing. And I yes. think, that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, the reformatting of the podcast and where it's going, but you're, you know, the fishing's awesome. And you know that we love to talk about fishing, but another part of this is, is that we've become really good friends also as podcasters and creators uh, uh, collectively. And, the reason why, you know, yeah, I, I want to know all about Ohio. I want to come back and fish with you, but want to know more about, you know, this, this kind of rebrand that you're doing with your podcast, because it was the 12 hike challenge and then it went to 12 hike, but now you're rebranding it. You're owning this thing on your own. You were doing it with a couple friends and all that yep. kind of stuff, but you know, things change through time and that's, that's great. And so now you're kind of rebranding this. What, what is the new podcast? What's, what's going on with it? Yeah. So whenever I was doing 12 hike, um, you know, it initially started just me and some buddies and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew that it, I wanted to talk about outdoor stuff. So it was this real broad format where I talked to conservationists, hunters, anglers, hikers, like it was just kind of a, a general outdoor podcast loved it i got to meet some super interesting people have some really good conversations um but when we moved back here i knew that i wanted to keep doing the podcast but i had an opportunity to change it and like you said own it and make it my own so i'm going to take um you know what i've learned and try to narrow down the scope of what i talk about and i want to focus on this region <laughs> and you know moving away because I thought it was bad. I didn't like the area. I didn't think I had anything to offer me. Um, before I moved back, I talked to one of my buddies and he said, you know, you, you should take this opportunity to, to be the change you want to see in the area. And I was like, you know what? That's a really good piece of advice. If you want an area to get better, you're not supposed to just run away. You're supposed to try to highlight the good points of it and, and bring that stuff out. So mm -hmm. what I want to do is talk about the good and the bad of Appalachia. You know, we've got a lot of good things going for us. We're, we're very uh, family oriented people. We're hard workers. We're determined. We're loyal. We just so happen to live in an area that is economically deprived. We are tend, we tend to be slightly uneducated i guess you could say we're we're blue collar workers right <laughs> and i think people kind of neglect all the good stuff about us so what i'm going to do is take all these things that i was raised in and, you know a good example is just a couple weeks ago my family got together and made apple butter mm -hmm. and for those that are uninitiated it's basically taking seven bushels of apples pouring them in a copper kettle, you know, lighting a fire under it and stirring it for about eight hours until it's thick, you know, thicker than applesauce. And then you jar it and you have apple butter. <laughs> That's not something that I, I think a lot of people around here really do anymore. Um, you know, we, we render our own cooking oil. We take pig fat and we render it down. And that's what my family cooks with. You know, that's what my grandparents cooked with their whole lives. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, gardening, all these canning, all, all this stuff that 
you know, I've grown up with, I want to, I want to talk about and expose to other people. Yeah. You know, uh, while you were talking about just kind of, um, I guess, I guess the stereotype of people from Appalachia, I, I started thinking about Mark Lida's, um, um, YouTube channel. It's called soft white underbelly. Are you, are you familiar with that? No. Okay. So Mark Lida, um, he, he really brings to light the things that we don't want to see as Americans. Um, he has all kinds of different stuff that, that he talks about on that channel. And, um, he talks about people from Appalachia and he's had some absolutely wonderful people from Appalachia on there with some of the most heartbreaking stories. Um, unfortunately, um, you know, there's, there's a, there was a gentleman on there raised both of his daughters by himself. Um, he, his wife was into drugs, everything else, but he lived a very, very basic lifestyle. Um, he, he raised his own hogs. He had his own garden. He had his own homestead. Um, and he just said, I, I just want to raise my kids the best way I can. And, and you could tell that it was all genuine, no BS, nothing else. It was like, he, he was a good person. And that speaks a lot to the strength of the people in that area, because he also had a um, gentleman that was a coal miner from West Virginia, you know, and when, when we think of Appalachia, we tend to probably think a lot about West Virginia and Tennessee and, you know, people don't think about the Ohio and in, in the respect, like what you have there, but they also don't understand that the mountain range ends in Maine. Also, right. you, you have a very large, you know, grouping of people, but it seems like when people think of like Appalachia, they think of that. What's cool about what you're doing with it, and you haven't really recorded a podcast specific to it yet, is that you're showcasing all of these things that that are a part of the Appalachian lifestyle. So you do have fishing involved in there, but you also will have hunting. You're going to have homesteading and gardening. You're going to have, uh, you know, uh, the the historical stuff and the history travel. It's really going to be pretty epic i'm excited and i don't even live in that area but i'm excited because it's it's uh, uh area of the united states that it's a ge geographical feature that that has has its own culture literally like people talk about like the rocky mountains having its culture but appalachia really has a culture that's the original mountain people I, and you know what i forget that sometimes but they really were you know, the original adventurers, you know, they're people that they left the East Coast, ventured into Kentucky, West Virginia, in the Native American country, and, you know, roughed it through thick and thin, and, and really, they, they've honed their skills, they're good at what they do, uh, we're, we're very hardy breed, we don't really, you know, things, things hit us, they, they tend to knock us back, but they don't knock us down. And it's really, it's interesting to, to look at this area as a whole and go, it's, it's wholly distinct from anything else in the United States. Well, it really is. And, and there again, touching back on um, the, the, the culture and lifestyle of people in Appalachia, yeah, there again, economic depravity, another part of that whole thing, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but 
because of that, the necessity to hang on to traditions and cultures there are a lot stronger than people that have kind of dispersed and emigrated outward, you know, so people that left the mountains and went, you know, came out West here or went South or went over to the East, you know, over the Atlantic seaboard or wherever else they went, the people that have stayed there generation after generation, which it has a long history. I mean, the Appalachian, you know, culture has been around since, you know, revolutionary war. It's, oh, it's really an incredible, incredible thing. Yeah. Um, the, the, the people hung on to that, you know, it's more than just moonshining and, you know, hillbillies and all this other stuff. There's, there's, um, countless, um, beautiful places, uh, you know, for the, the, the geo tourists, you know, you have the great smoky mountains that's yep. in the Appalachian mountains. You have the AT that's a part that Appalachian trail. That's, that's a yeah. part of it. <laughs> There's just so much. Yeah, uh, Mammoth Caves is one of the Mammoth largest. Caves, yeah, one of the largest cave systems in the United States is just right in Kentucky. So, yeah, uh, you know the Ohio River, just a, a huge, powerful river. Le- Lake Erie is not really what I'm going to consider Appalachia, but it's still in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's that whole Great Lake system up there is really incredible. There's a lot that this area has going on for it in terms of uh, outdoor recreation. When you look at white-tailed deer. We've got some of the largest white-tailed deer in the country. Our numbers are incredible. Uh, I was just looking over the regulations. Uh, you can shoot f- four deer, I think, a year. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> That's it, a lot of deer. I can just, there's, That's a gas, a lot of work. there's a gas station right around the corner. I can go there. I can go get a, a hunting license and four deer permits. I don't have to draw a lottery. I can just go get it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome though, because I mean that, but that's the stuff that people like to hear about, especially, well, you know what the draw tag system's like in the West. Oh yeah. And, and how we're dating, you're like, I could go down to the gas station, buy four deer tags at home. And then I got to come out here. I got to buy points in order to get a place I want to hunt. I can't just go buy a tag, you know, I, but there again, uh, the, the outdoor cultures are built different. Yeah. Do you do you see yourself working towards building more of that outdoor culture, not only locally, but in in kind of like your little neck of the woods, like getting some more outreach through your podcast and your social media and all that? Absolutely. You know, I've got uh, I've got a couple of friends that are avid kayakers, avid anglers. You know, we've talked about doing um, some sort of I guess you call it a side hustle where we do like a, a kayak outfitter. So we basically. Uh, you know, get the kayaks, the fishing gear, everything you need. And we set people up on fishing trips. Uh, you know, there's two or three bodies of water that are highly accessible and easily fishable. Uh, and the goal would be to, you know, maybe initiate these people, give them an easy way to get into it. Yeah, they got to pay a little bit of money up front, mm-hmm. but they're going to have this experience that's full service. You know, we take them fishing, we give them snacks. We feed them. We tell them where to fish, how to fish. Make it as easy as possible for them to to get that little bit of satisfaction from fishing. And then maybe when they're done, they go, okay, this is something I really enjoy. I need to go out and get my own stuff, Mm -hmm. which is the ultimate goal. Because you want, I think a lot of people don't realize, you want as many people in the outdoors as possible for a number of reasons. You know, one all that stuff they buy, there's a tax on it. And that yep. tax funds conservation. Pittman Robertson. 
Yeah, it's it's a, it's an ingenious thing, and it's really beneficial. Mm-hmm. Number two, the more people that are out there doing these things, they're going to see the garbage. They're going to see the trash. And if you can teach them the correct things to do, they're going to go pick up that stuff, or they're going to draw awareness to it and try to get something done about it so that they can enjoy that, whatever it is, hiking, hunting, fishing, that area for longer. And, you know, it's up to us as outdoors people to take care of that stuff. I've said it numerous times, you know, if you fish, carry a trash bag with you and go Mm -hmm. pick up garbage. It's not that hard. Absolutely. Well, and, and that's the whole thing is like, culturally speaking with everything else, uh, you know, it, originally you, yeah, you would see people, they would string garbage out. They wouldn't pick up after themselves. And now slowly you're seeing people pick up after themselves more and more. And, you know, some of the kind of that, that intercultural, you know, uh, I guess what you would call, um, self-policing, right. You're seeing more self-policing, I guess, you know, but there's a lot of it probably in your area. It's not as good. And so you're still seeing a lot of garbage and you're seeing a lot of waste and refuse. So getting, yeah, getting people out there and teaching them how to take care of that stuff. That's good. In order to do that kind of thing, would uh, that, I guess that would make you a guide, wouldn't it? And in a lot of ways, like a, like you would become a fishing guide at that point. Okay. Essentially. Okay. Uh, Then that's the stuff that, you know, we've got to hammer all that stuff out because we've all got regular jobs we've got families, we got to figure out what all that looks like. And, you know, um, there are other things that, that we've all talked about doing, you know, my wife and I, you know, we have this opportunity where we've moved back. We have a little bit of extra money. We've talked about opening some kind of business to better the community, you know, where we left in Colorado, there were playgrounds, parks there were all kinds of things for families to do and when we moved back here it became apparent really fast that that was one of the things we were going to miss there wasn't a whole lot of stuff there isn't a whole lot of stuff for families to do so you know we're talking about trying to affect that change you know opening a business of some kind that's family oriented to to get to bring families together help them play meet new people to form connections uh just recreation just something Mm -hmm. to to get people's minds off of the drug problem the poverty Mm -hmm. uh anything just to be a positive force so i mean the 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 location you're in what is it conducive to do that type of thing yes and no so uh, i say yes because the opportunity is there there's nothing here so it'd be really easy to come up with a not even an original idea just a good idea um but the the no is people just don't have a lot of extra income you know if you don't have expendable income how can you pay uh you know twenty dollars a trip to go to an indoor playground for example that's something we talked about uh how many times can you really do that in a month because it's not just the admission fee it's your time getting there, your fuel getting there. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't have cars that are super reliable. So you got to risk your car breaking down just to go play at a playground. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But at the same time, if you don't even, if you never try it, if you just go, oh, it's not going to work, you're never going to know. Right. 
Well, I think, I think it's, you know, goes without saying you leaving and coming back with the experiences you had is definitely going to bring a different dynamic to your community. Because if you would have never left, it's like, well, it's just kind of the way it is around here. If you leave your community and you see how things are done somewhere else where it could be very beneficial for the people in your community, then I think it's definitely worthwhile to, to be pursuant to that because I could most certainly say uh, that for a lot of people, especially in an economically deprived area, that's, that's a big deal um, to, to have that recreation and, and even to share with people how to do that recreation too, because I think there, there, there's a lot of different factors that go into drug use, right. And, and criminal mischief and all that. But I think the number one thing is boredom. I think it's when people get bored, whether they're adults or children, they start to try to find things to fill their time. And, and, and then it becomes systemic. We could probably talk another hour about just that problem. Uh, yeah. there, there have been a lot of studies that show uh, when a, we'll just, we'll talk about men in general. Uh, when men lose their livelihood, they lose their sense of purpose in life. And the majority of them turn to either drugs or alcohol. And then on top of that, you've got the issue of um, what happened in the you know, late 90s, early 2000s with the prescription drug problem, you know, Oxycontins. Mm-hmm. That all really started in the coal mines because, uh, you know, these, these uh, coal workers were just getting riddled with pains and diseases. And these doctors, well, doctors yeah. started writing these people just blank prescriptions. Just here, take, take these pills. They're going to make you feel better. And they got people absolutely devastatingly hooked on prescription drugs. And then once all those, they call them pill mills, once those all got shut down, the, the natural reaction was to find something to replace that. So they started going to meth. Well, meth uh is probably one of the most dangerous things i've ever seen in my life Mm -hmm. i could not imagine putting something like that in my body but people do it well they started cracking down on meth well now what now what do we have heroin yeah and fentanyl and and fentanyl so you know it's a it's a multifaceted problem and i don't know what the solution is but i know a good start is just like you said give people something to look forward to that doesn't Mm -hmm. involve those things yeah, I think that's the biggest thing in the world. You know, um, people have to have that outlet. And it's a shame that there's not more public access where you're at to, to some of these areas. Because I could, I could see more people being out on the river fishing when the walleye and sauger are running. Yeah. Um, I, I could see more people being out there boating if there were more boat ramp accesses you know uh, to kayak and do all that kind of stuff if you if you were going down the middle of the river and you didn't have to worry about the landowner either calling the police for trespassing or shooting at you and you could just go down the river that would be nice and so there's stuff at the state level that can be done about that but i'm sure it's going to meet a lot of resistance from that whole industrial (laughs) business complex and it's stuff that's getting worked on you know um just again, right out my window, 
the state is getting ready to put in a public access point to the river. So that's, that's happening. Um, there's an abandoned railroad that runs from Portsmouth to Cincinnati um, that is no longer in use. And the city is trying to get that turned into a rails to trails. Oh yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So, you know, that's just a recreation trail that would be hugely popular. I'd use it. I think it'd be great. Oh, I'd come back to just ride or run on it. You yeah, know? Well, I've walked the train tracks just, you know, as a kid, it, it, yeah. they were abandoned. So we just played on them, but uh, I can imagine if it was a nice paved trail, all the opportunities. And not only that, you know, we've got the Wayne National Forest, which has two regions. It's one of the, it's the largest state forest in Ohio. Uh, it is huge. It's got uh, ATV trails that are on it, hunting, hiking, fishing. There's all kinds of stuff in there to do. Uh, bouldering. I, th- I don't think a lot of people realize there's a big bouldering scene around here. Uh, just because we have a lot of rocky outcrops and places to climb. It's mm-hmm. not like your high alpine stuff, but you're looking technical climbing uh it's all there i mean you could i've seen people numerous days with uh you know the hiking mats oh yeah the the bouldering mats on their backs walking up the trails and i'm like what in the hell are you getting ready to do bud yeah and they're they're (laughs) going up the boulder oh that's cool because that's that there there you go i i think i know what your guys' business could be you know honestly it's basically an outdoor store that's i mean but there again, you talk about economic depravity and everything else and yeah. who who can afford to buy that. So, yeah, you know, I, th- it sounds like there's a lot of great opportunity mm-hmm. there. It's just getting people exposed to it. That's that's the biggest thing. Yep, that's the problem. I mean, you know, you were talking earlier about changing the culture around here. That's a tough thing to do because whenever you think of like the stereotypical hillbilly redneck, hell raising, beer drinking, you know, country boy. <laughs> yeah. That's what we have around here. Uh, that little gas station's around the corner. Yeah. Friday night, Saturday night, it's nothing but four wheelers, uh, side by sides, dirt bikes, and they've all got Bud Light in the back. I was gonna say Bush lattes, but Bud Light. Okay. <laughs> uh, Bud, hey, Budweiser, Bud. Don't you forget but. it. <laughs> and you know they're out there ripping and running the trails, throwing their beer cans everywhere. Yeah, they're having a good time but they couldn't care less about what they're doing to the environment. Right. Yeah. And that's one thing, like I'm, I'm all down for OHV areas, which is what we call them out West, but yep. you know um, I'm, I'm down for that. Have fun, go get muddy, go get dirty, go tear it up, but don't leave your human garbage behind. Please yep. just pick it up. It's so easy. Just take it with you. Don't, is- you know, don't haul pallets out there to burn and then leave all the damn nails. Take it, take a metal bucket, rake it up, throw it in. It is so disheartening to see how much garbage is around here. It's really, you know, that was one of the things my wife and I loved about Colorado. You didn't see just piles of garbage everywhere. It's not that it's not the same here. It's just, we haven't cultivated that real deep sense of appreciation. And a lot of people don't realize how beautiful it is around here. You know, all of our leaves are changing right now. It's full of yellows and reds. The hills are always smoky because the humidity is coming off the hills. We have a really beautiful slice of the United States, but it's up to us to take care of it. Absolutely. For sure. We are coming up on our hour, Zach, uh, and I would go for another hour, but we try to keep these things manageable. But your new podcast is going to be called The Appalachian Way. 
And yes. uh, you're already building a presence building up to that. You're on IG and all that, but where can everybody find you when you do get this launched? Uh, where, where's it going to launch at and where can people find you? So I tried to make it as easy as possible. Uh, basically, all I did was change the names of of all my 12 hike accounts to the Appalachian way. So if you already followed the 12 hike podcast on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, I just changed the name to the Appalachian way. Um, my podcast will be on Spotify, Google podcast, uh, iHeartRadio, Amazon, all those big major platforms. And, um, you know, something I'm going to try to be a little more diligent on is uh, posting quality content. Like I, I don't want to just put up stuff on Instagram for the sake of putting it up there. Mm -hmm. I hope to put up things that are kind of educational, kind of entertaining, you know, because now that I'm back home where I'm all my family, my family is bananas. We're all crazy. So <laughs> I want to give, <laughs> I want to give everyone a little insight into what it's really like to, to live the, the Appalachian life that I've lived and grown up with. Cause I feel like it's in a lot of ways, very stereotypical of, of an Appalachian family. Just we're nuts. That's the only added bonus. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know about that. You guys have a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I, uh, everything that I've seen that you guys are doing is always a lot of fun. And I'm just uh, like, when you guys were doing the apple butter, I was yeah. sitting there, you guys have all the food out. You have all this food going, you have everything else across the board. It's all like, I'm like, well, that's like when we do cider pressing here. Yep. And, you know, that's the same thing. We do all the cider pressing and all that. And we have all this food and we have drinks and we're pressing cider. The kids are washing apples and uh, the kids are involved in all that. That just seems that's a, that's a part of America that is not common to see anymore. And it is so, it's so fulfilling as a person. You know, you get that big group of people together, you tell stories, you remember how things used to be, uh, and, and it really it lifts your spirits. And that's, I think that's the, probably the most important aspect of this area is when we all get together, it's, it's usually not sad, even funerals, you know, yeah, it's more like a church service than it is a funeral, because there's this little glimmer of hope that, yeah, this person's passed away, but man, they're going somewhere better and you can too. And it's just, it's the whole culture for me anyway, from my experience is all about lifting each other up. Yeah, for sure. Well, so if you're listening to this podcast on whatever platform, chances are you can swing over and you can look up Zach's podcast. It's called the Appalachian way. Um, you can also look up Zach, uh, through the, all the other handles. If you are already a 12 hike listener or 12 hike fan, obviously, um, you're, you're already connected in with Zach, but if you haven't, if you're one of our new listeners and we've had a lot of them, we've, uh, you can find Zach there. So nonetheless, Zach, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm glad we were able to have you back on again. We've been waiting a while to record this. So absolutely. And, and for any of the new listeners, you know, if there's an aspect of Appalachian culture you want me to talk about, you know, either shoot Brian a message or shoot me a message and I'll, I'll try to squeeze it in there. Yeah, for sure. And, and trust me, I can, I, I have Zach on my phone, so we actually text back and forth directly. Um, so you, you can, you can assure that I'm like, Hey, somebody was talking about that episode where we did the Appalachian way 
and they said, Hey, we wanted to hear more about this or this or this. And I'll shoot it. You know, that I'll shoot it over to Zach. As a matter of fact, I'll screenshot it and say, Hey, this guy said this. <laughs> and so then he can circle back with you and you guys can connect and talk ideas. So, but anyway, Zach, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for being such an awesome friend of ours. We really appreciate it. You know, I know John does too, but, um, man, we've, we've really built an awesome friendship over the last couple of years. And so, you know, it's our pleasure to always have you on here. As always, it's been great. Sweet. All right. So everybody, make sure you go over, check out Zach. All of his information will be in the show notes. And for us, you can find us on all of those aforementioned uh, listening platforms. Only one we're having a difficult time getting on is Pandora, but maybe that doesn't matter too much. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that one a little bit later. But if you want to connect with us directly, you can find us through Instagram. You can find us through YouTube. You can find us through Facebook or the Go Wild app. And so if you want to talk to us about any of the uh, the fishing content, any of our guests, just go ahead and shoot us a message. And if you want to talk to us directly, email us at workingclassfish at gmail.com. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. Hope everybody has a great day. <laughs>